Hello and welcome to Behind the Sounds. I am here with Nashville born and bred songwriter, David Nash. Welcome. How are you? So, so good. Good. And I know you're not in Nashville anymore, but uh, living, but you are there at the moment. So yes. what's it like to be home? It's hot. It's really, <laughs> really you. hot and humid. Um, I, I sweated through dinner outside last night. That was a pretty big uh, adjustment to uh, the Southern California nighttime weather, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting for me because a lot of the people that I speak to on this on this show kind of moved to Nashville later in life. Whereas you you were born there, you grew up there. So what is it like being a, a child in Nashville, like experiencing it? Yeah, so right, my my what kind of what kept my family here. My parents actually met um, going to Belmont University, which is kind of the music school here in Nashville. Um, and before uh, Opry Mills, the retail mall was mm-hmm. was there. It, there used to be a park called Opryland, like yeah. a water park theme park, and it was incredible. Like it was so much fun. My parents actually met or wound up working on the same. Uh, like show they would do shows all day you know where you know you come by and see a performance and uh, my dad was the musical director for the band and my mom was a singer for the band and uh and so yeah they hit it off and actually they just celebrated their 40th anniversary yesterday wow so pretty special yeah but but so yeah the the music um you know kept kept us here and and so i was raised you know, in Nashville, kind of more South Nashville, like Brentwood and Franklin and that areas, which, um, you know, was, was awesome to kind of get, get the, to experience a non-musical community. Um, but, but always surrounded by going to studios in Nashville and studios in Cool Springs and everything around the area was kind of my childhood. My dad had a studio, uh, probably 10, 15 minutes away from where they live now. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like a you know a small little suburb. So no, there was no reason to no reason to ever leave. I mean, my dad's from Miami, but as soon as he you know met my mom and and my mom you know was from Nashville, and, and so they just kind of made home base here, and uh, I loved it. I loved it for a really long time. And um, definitely started to when I got to my twenties, I started to have the itch to to move out to LA. Um, you know, mainly because of what kind of music and entertainment was coming out of there. Um, my my dad really raised us on a lot of pop and a lot of stuff that came from L.A., New York, and London. And and so Nashville felt a little left-footed for me until I, until I did it a little bit more, until I experienced, like, what writing songs was um, or what being a songwriter in Nashville was. And, uh, yeah, I hit I hit 30 uh a year and a half ago and was like i think that i need to either do this or settle in to nashville mm-hmm. so i'm i'm very much a, a go with the flow kind of person so pack my bags and move to los angeles amazing and do you regret it or are you, are you happy you did it i'm so happy i did it uh i funny enough i when i put my bag upstairs here at my parents place when i got back was the first time in my entire life that coming back to my parents' house didn't feel like home. And it was this, it was kind of weird. It was like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, like this is, I I am making a different life for myself in LA. And I think I, I, when I was moving, I told everybody that 
moving to LA was like 60% personal and 40% business. Mm-hmm. It really, it really was about like leaving, leaving Nashville was more important than moving to LA. Right. Just for me as a, as a person to grow and to expand and to experience different people in different situations and not be able to have, you know, so much family to fall back on. And now it, which then, you know, moving to LA, it builds a, builds a better bond between me and my family and, and more of a need to talk on the phone and to catch up instead of, I probably just took it for granted for, for so long. Cause they were all, I just didn't know anything different than, mm-hmm. than always being here. So I think way more important for me is like the growth of myself to, to experience, you know, something different and make a life for myself that was a little bit um, my own uh, rather than just kind of stemming from the family dynamic. Yeah, for sure. And I found it interesting there. You said kind of what music you were raised on. So uh, for anyone that doesn't know, your dad is a Grammy winning songwriter, wrote a lot of country music and contemporary Christian music. So what were you literally listen to everything when you were a child like was it just ev- like pop country rock what kind of things influenced you honestly what the, the so funny is that it really was everything but country wow i mean it, it for my, my my dad yeah my dad my dad played on a bunch of country stuff and and mainly his main thing was production in contemporary christian music mm-hmm. um, and he kind of like him and another producer named Brown Bannister kind of forged what like the nineties Christian music became, um, which was, which is pretty cool. But a lot of the guys that he wound up hiring to play on those records were from LA and they would go out to LA and cut the records. Yeah. And so everything always was, was kind of, you know, like, like I said, kind of filtered in from these different places just because I think my my dad always always listened to to music outside of Nashville, but I mean we could start here. Yeah. I mean I that's the kind of just the foundation of of, of everything really. Um, and then yeah, I I mean my my kind of key key points in music were like I used to raid my dad's CD collection. He had this one. Um, like boom back when there was like jewel cases and you would have like a big tub of them um like an organizer uh he i used to just pick out records and most of it was like you know kind of 70s 80s cool music that was like imports from japan or whatever and all these like oh i'm kind of you know in a place where i can hear these songs that maybe not everybody can pre-internet um and then one day I, I pulled out a record. I was like, I looked at it. I was like, well, I don't understand why my dad has a record by the band Cold. That was like kind of like hard rock. That's not typically what my dad would do. But I used to go up and put uh, CDs in my CD player and uh, put on like video games and uh, p- put the TV on mute and then play c- CDs. And so it starts and it's just like really like beautiful kind of haunting acoustic guitar and this thing and I hear this voice and I like look again at the record and it says Coldplay Parachutes and I was like what I like my mind was just blown I mean that that yeah you don't recover from and that was like kind of a surprise too I didn't know who they were yeah and so yeah it was like that and a guy named Duncan Cheek 
um, who had his big hit was barely breathing in the nineties. And, um, and I just really fell in love. I was like basically a 13 year old kid listening to like pretty depressing music, but I'm like, I'm very, I'm a very happy person. So it was like a good, like late night balance of like just so- something somber and kind of in that vein. And then, uh, so I think that that's, that was kind of the first thing that really sparked my, just something in, in me that was like, oh, wow, that, I think that like, w- it would be great to create something. Um, and then, yeah, like I had, had uh, you know, once that kind of kicked in, it was like I found a bunch of music from um, shows like The O.C. or One Tree Hill. Yeah. Um, and, and they always had the best soundtracks. And it's fun now because I get to work with, one of the supervisors for those shows um we've met over the last couple of years and she's she's been amazing and and it's pretty surreal to to listen back to some of those mixtapes that they used to make for the records and and like be like oh i think that's why casey and i get along well um so you know i just you know and from there i think every kid goes through a hip-hop phase some sort of like defiance against what you're supposed to be listening to but my mom did my mom found the lyrics to, um, I'd printed out the lyrics to learn EI from Nelly. Uh, and I didn't know what any of those words meant. And she like, she like got the, got the paper and brought it down. And she was like, next time I find one of these, we're going to talk about every word that's in here. And I was like, you got it. Like, that's ah, not going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, so I think, I think kind of everything, everything pre, um, like getting into, the Nashville publishing publishing world was kind of bands and artists that were, you know, from, from outside of Nashville. And then I really learned a lot through just writing with more country people and that thing once I signed um, a publishing deal, which I think was a great education as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to kind of skip forward a bit because I just want to touch on what you were saying about kind of the soundtracks to like the OC and One Tree Hill. Like me personally, mm-hmm. like, one Tree Hill was the soundtrack to like the last 10 years of my life, still is. And yes. um, so basing on that, so obviously you said that was a huge influence to you. In the past few years, you've had cuts and songs on TV shows and movies. So like To All The Boys I've Loved Before, Lucifer, Longmire. What's that like to then be on the flip side of it and potentially have people listening and think, oh, this is like the soundtrack to my life now. Is that really cool? It's unbelievable. I mean, I really, I really do think as I'm still kind of trying to see if, you know, what, what area of, of music I might belong in that, that still always rings really true to, I think what I am meant to do, which is get, I can pass along what that was for me. Um, And yeah, I mean, to all the boys that, that song that's in that movie, um, it's one of my favorites that I've been a part of. And uh, Chaz, the artist, Chaz Cardigan, is a good friend of mine as well. So all those things being wins, and then you get to put the movie on. And, like, it's kind of fun to not know when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, after listening to a bunch of songs that maybe you haven't heard before, you hear the first note, and you're like, oh, this is it. Um, and I, I still love... I'm, I, I still love just really freaking out about those things mm-hmm. and it's still a real pleasure. And I think it's good to, t- to tell your brain to be excited about those things. Cause it's, you know, it's a, it's an accomplishment that we really work hard for. And, um, 
So yeah, for somebody to be able to hear that and, and be able to, well, I guess what the cool thing is about TV and film is that you get to match, um, it, like, you know, the visual of the characters that you've mm -hmm. fallen in love with, with this song that, that kind of brings out that different side of the emotion for you. And so yeah. it's almost like it imprints it in your brain. I mean, I'm, I think the first thing I think about for my childhood was the first time that I heard Fix You by Coldplay was Marissa Cooper, like they, and in the OC, yeah. like just the car and they're walking back and it's so dramatic. And then it's like, oh no, it's the season finale. And it's this massive Coldplay song. And it's mm -hmm. like, I still, that what a great placement. Like I still yeah. feel that song with probably deeper emotion because of what I, you know, the, the essence that I saw it in. But yeah, it's a, it's a treat. I love that so much. Yeah. And how, how did that work? Like, obviously you've had quite a few. So what's the process of, normally obviously you write a song, it goes to a recording artist, it gets recorded on the radio. What's the process of getting it on a film or a TV show? Were you asked to write songs for that or did it kind of come about in a different way? They, they all, they all kind of have come about in different ways. So um, the one in Lucifer, that's a song called Hallelujah. Um, and I was just on the phone with, with Young Summer, the artist, and we're working on some, some new stuff um, right now. But uh, she, so the, the supervisor that I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. that's her publisher. Um, and so we kind of got a tip that Lucifer was looking for, you know, a song, you know, that had the word hallelujah in it. Um, and so we were like, okay, I think this is cool. I think we can do this. And once that kind of is agreed upon, you don't really think about it too much. And then you just kind of write the song and then you're like, all right, I think we got the thing that you're looking for. And hopefully the song is good enough and has the dynamics to, to really work. Um, and so luckily they, they loved that one and that one got into, um, into Lucifer. And then uh, uh, Young Summer and I also did a cover of Franz Ferdinand's Take Me Out. Yeah which was in Looking for Alaska. Yeah. Um, so that one, I think I remember Casey, the supervisor was like, they're looking for like 90s covers um, or 2000s covers that would have been. And so we just picked it and we cut it and it's kind of like, just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And then the weirdest one was the To All the Boys with that cut because we had written that song in maybe 2017, maybe 2018. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, Chaz called me last Christmas and, uh, and was like, hey, man, crazy, but my A&R at Capitol was listening to this song in her office just because she loved it. And the supervisor for the movie was walking past the office, like her office and heard it and was like, wait, what's that? And kind of stepped in and was like, oh, wait, that could kind of be perfect for this scene we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And that's how that happened. Like what, that's just, that's crazy to me. I mean, yeah. I do feel like that's kind of how the music industry does work in a lot of ways. It's like this random occurrence of, of people meeting or things happening and, um, you know, so all those things have really been a lot different. But I guess the path, the true path of it is always knowing the supervisor who's actually placing the music into the show. Mm -hmm. um, and then trying to figure out what they're looking for, get close. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, you keep trying. Yeah. And is it something you'd like to do a lot more of? Obviously you were saying like the visual really helps and sticks in your mind. Is it something that you'd like to kind of try and do as much of as possible? 
Yeah, yeah. So as far as like moving to LA, you know, the pop side of what I do and the 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 TV and film side of what I do, I mean, that's the the best place to be in the world for that stuff. So just trying to kind of get around more where you know you're a phone call away from a writing session that maybe someone canceled on or you're just in in the thoughts of people more than you are um you know here in nashville sometimes but, but yeah i'd love to do as much of that as i possibly could yeah it's such such a cool thing to to be a part of and um, so back to kind of like the the origins of the songs where do you kind of get your influences from does it literally vary on a, a daily basis i know we'll kind of dive into a couple of songs a bit later but where did you when did you realize first of all that you could write a song um the first song well i did write a song when i was 13 called ice cream man <laughs> um but the first like legitimate song i wrote um i really was i was sitting in study hall one day like i think i was my sophomore year like 15 and um I was listening to like classical music um, and I just had a melody and like started writing down words. I, I don't, I, it was probably more involved than that, but mm -hmm. it really did kind of just start coming out. And then I wrote a bunch of like probably 250 really bad songs um, and like never understanding why they didn't work the way they needed to work or whatever. And then, you know, through growing in the craft, you know, started to learn a little bit more about, you know, how things fit and how to, how to get out of tight spots when you're writing, like lyrically, how to move the needle if you're stuck on something. And I guess in, in influences, um, you know, I, I think that at this point, a lot of the influences are already like instilled in me. Mm -hmm. where I don't, I don't necessarily think about them, but if you, where I naturally go for different things, you could point exactly to where that came from. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily, um, you know, pull on inspiration like I used to, but maybe, maybe that's helping confuse like what the inspirations were, where it's a little bit more of a melting pot um, of things, which in turn, you know, hopefully gives, gives me, you know, a voice that maybe isn't exactly Chris Martin's or Paul McCartney's or Bono, but I honestly, I'm ex in a modern age. I really am so unbelievably inspired by Ed Sheeran. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't get enough of like his style of writing or how loose he holds stuff. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. He's so confident in just, emotion and what that connects to people um and so i'm really inspired really inspired by that stuff and um you know anything that's on pop radio i really do draw a lot of inspiration from um and just a way of like just hearing somebody do a really cool thing makes me want to try to do a really cool thing yeah so i i really love uh lynn and stella her her records are really fantastic um, there's a band called Now Now that's it's making really good music. Um, yeah, just I think that it's mainly about, oh, I really like the new Taylor record. Yeah. That's a really, really strong record. And so when I listen to that, it makes me want to go do something. So I guess that, that's inspiration. Yeah. So from other people, do you have, obviously you're just saying that like the new Taylor record, do you have a, a song of maybe, I don't know, the last two years that like really sticks out for you so you were just saying like Len and Stella Ed Sheeran is there any like one song 
that you're just like, damn, that is a, that's a good song. Okay. Um, Oh, this is a hard question. Uh, Why don't I choose one from the Taylor record? Mm -hmm. I think this is me, what I call this is me crying. (laughs) This is me trying. Or or, uh, Exile with Bonnie Vare. Both of those songs really, really connect to me. But this is me trying. I do feel like that song means something to me in a way of, of, of like, when a, when a relationship isn't right, it's really hard to make it work. Mm-hmm. But that, that, that completely eliminates like the thought of what love is. And love like keeps you in that thing. And, and some, you know, if you've ever been in love with somebody that maybe does love you but isn't all the way in or doesn't want to commit, you're like screaming at them like, hello, like this is me, like trying so hard for you to see me. Um, and so, you know, I've had my fair share of, of those. So I'll go with that. I, I'm, I'm often uh, missing on that question, and I, 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 but I do feel strong about my answer. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good answer. I just thought I'd, I'd slip it in just to see if there was anything in particular that. Oh, just- I'll, I will add one more that I think was my 2019 most listened song was a song called "Bottle of Pills" by John the Blind. Ah. I mean, John the Blind. His uh, his real name is John Ryan, and he like wrote so many of the One Direction songs, and um, just he's a maroon five writer and all these big big songs that always seem to connect to me as well yeah that's a good one and so i'm going to talk a little bit about some artists in particular you've written with um two artists that kind of in the pop and kind of crossover in the country world as well so um emily hackett and caitlin tarver who i know you work both with a lot and something like they've been on a lot of people's radars for for the last kind of few years and they're the music they're releasing is so great and you've obviously been quite a huge part of that. Is there something different about working with people when they're first starting out, like developing this sound for them, like with any of either of them in particular, is there anything that stands out about the way they work that makes you want to kind of keep, keep working with them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I would, I think I'm, I'm probably catching Emily a little earlier in her career than Caitlin um so let's start with with Emily yeah I remember seeing Emily play the first time I ever met her I I went to a show of hers and was just floored with like her vocal and like how much it connected to me um and so we started working together when I was still in Nashville probably three or four years ago um and kind of as we were both like finding our places really I mean I was really you know kind of early into producing whole records and live on the floor kind of band records. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were both kind of taking a shot on each other with that first, you know, record that that she put out. Um, And now, you know, I'm I'm writing, you know, more of the songs with her um, and, you know, which, which in turn I like, because it just, there's a bit of me being involved in that that makes production for me easier. Yeah. Um, I just kind of know where to go a little bit more than if I'm always doing, you know, other people's songs. And, um, you know, something, well, just something that popped into my brain about, like, for Emily, for one, um, is like finding an artist like that that really is kind of starting their career. The, the biggest thing is just remembering what they do so well naturally. 
And so Emily really does work so well when it's like her vocal above everybody, above everything else in mm-hmm. the track. Um, and that took me, you know, a, a, a while to figure out. And it also took me a while to figure out that that's, that's really great production. If you like let the vocal shine and, and like you're not doing a ton of stuff around it, like you're letting the song be heard, you know, that's, that's great production. And you don't have to be flashy to, you know, like wear that cap. Um, and so I do feel like we're really, really onto some great stuff now um, with Emily, where I do feel like all of her influences and who she wants to be as an artist is starting to match up with what I've always saw in her as an artist. And I think what a bunch of, uh, you know, everyone around her sees as an artist as well, um, which is a little bit more stripped back, a little bit more um, song forward. Um, with just some some good elements to kind of keep you in there. Um, but yeah, so I'm very excited about what we have to come, honestly, for both of those artists. But, but yeah, Emily um, Emily is so great. So she's a little songbird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and Caitlin, Caitlin's had, you know, really great success before we got connected. Um, and obviously she, you know, has an entire acting career that goes with it. And, um, you know, and so kind of catching her where she was, was, was in a way kind of refinding herself. Yeah. Um, you know, she had done, um, that tired eyes EP, which still does really, really well for her. And that's like pretty acoustic. I think it's almost all acoustic. Um, and then she, you know, went into some pop places and, um, wound up just feeling like that wasn't really what she wanted to do. And she wanted to kind of get back to more, um, song forward stuff. And so we, yeah, we met in Nashville and wrote a song called Cynical right before I moved. And, um, uh, and so that's, yeah, she, that's out there. And then we've just been working. She's a little bit more pop leaning than Emily is, you know, just by, by nature, um, which is a fun change up for me. Yeah. Uh, to be able to go and be a little bit more um, risky with some sounds and some production styles and stuff like that. But same thing, you know, goes for Caitlin as it does for Emily in that, you know, the more we try to push the production on it, I think the more her fan base wants something that is simpler and that's awesome. And I love finding that stuff out too, because it it, it really makes it challenging as a producer to know where to fit in. It's like, Mm -hmm. and I guess the songwriter in me gets excited just because it's really fun to write songs that people love. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the producer, that's a little bit more of a challenging seat to sit in with some of these that need to be a little bit more tamed. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got uh, at least two more songs a piece that are all mastered and ready to go for both those artists. Nice. So there's, there's a lot more ready to come and hopefully pretty frequently, maybe once a month, um, which is exciting. Yeah, definitely. And obviously you were just saying like you produced and, and wrote a lot of them. And I know you kind of do a bit of mixing and obviously you play and that. So what kind of came first for you in terms of when you started to make music? Was it the writing? Was it the creating the music to go with it? What kind of, how did it naturally happen for you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was, I was always a pretty average musician, but I like to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So I just tried to figure out how to play as much of the things as possible. Um, and, my, and my dad's like a really, really unbelievable piano player. 
and he always, you know, would get onto me about practicing, like, like being too distracted in my elements. And, and so I think I'm, I'm getting, getting the last laugh on, on that one for him. But, um, but anyway, yeah. So I just always was only able to really play it enough to write to. Yeah. So like go, like going to jam with your buddies that like put so much fear in me. Cause I don't know how to do that stuff. Right. Um, that like, I just naturally kind of went to songs and songs meant the most to me. And the thing that the, the therapy of it, the like being able to work out so many emotions inside of like writing a song, mm-hmm. I think was really healthy for me growing up. Um, and then, yeah, when I got to, uh, my freshman year, my first semester freshman year in college, I made really bad grades because I really only, uh, my, my dad had given me uh, like uh, an interface to record on mm-hmm. and got me like Pro Tools, my first version of, of recording software. And I, I mm-hmm. just wrote songs and just tried to record them and didn't go to class. And uh, mm-hmm. I think we ended up okay. But um but yeah, so I think the songwriting just really, really sunk in pretty early on as a, a little bit of like, oh, I love music, but I can't do, like, I can't really like play in a band that well. Mm-hmm. So I might as well like do this. And then I, I, I remember at one point in my kind of early 20s before I really got into the industry um, where I was like spending a bunch of time recording stuff, but I was like getting really geeky about sounds and like synth settings and all this stuff and I remember I like played one of them for my dad and and he just was like you need to just do writing and I was like oh I was like oh like all like you know like frustrated with it and I was like well but I think about that a lot like I think that he he saw that that's probably what was going to stick for me Mm -hmm. and was just like don't you know, like try to stay focused on that. And so I really do, really do love that. And and now, especially I, it's my favorite part of the whole thing. It really is. Yeah. The writing part. Definitely. And obviously it's paid off for you. Yeah. Um, so when you come, when it comes to genres, obviously we talked about like different genres you worked with. Is that, do you have a favorite or do you like just discovering new, new people within new genres? Yeah, I I would say that, um, let's do it this way. I think that TV and film comes the easiest. Mm -hmm. So that's where I feel most confident and most at home. Yeah. And then pop is really fun where it it gives me a chance to feel cool, I think, (laughs) Um, and a little bit more hip than I actually am. And then country is like the challenging part. So I still really do miss the type of songs that I wrote in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I don't, you know, always write country music, there is an absolute satisfaction in writing um, some songs that really make people hear what you're talking about and tell a story. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's probably the most comfortable, the most fun, and then the most challenging out of those three. Yeah, and then talking of them songs that you you write in Nashville and, you know, people hear and their stories, Eric Church, uh, a song you got to write for him, which 
I believe he wrote quite a few years ago, but only came out a few weeks ago. Um, his one of his most recent singles, "Stick That in Your Country Song." What was that? Can you tell me like the process of rec- writing that and it making it to him? Yeah, that's another crazy story. Um, so Jeff, who is my old publisher, my first publisher, um, and actually like lives two backyards away from my parents here. Um, but he and I used to write um, a lot and we would find each other kind of like mid-afternoon kind of evening sitting around talking about life and talking about different things. And he kind of comes alive more late at night and I was just too afraid to ever leave. Uh, and so, yeah, one, one night he came in after maybe I had a session with somebody else, um, that day and and we were, we were talking and it was uh, 2015. So this is five years ago. Um, and it was right around the time where, uh, if you remember like Baltimore was riding a lot, like you saw in, um, Minneapolis and in LA, um, over the, the, uh, uh, George Floyd and oh, why am I? Uh, I'm blanking on this gentleman's name, but it was a lot the same. Where it was uh, like very police-involved mm-hmm. brutality that led to uh, this man's death, and that's kind of what stemmed the whole thing. Much like five years later, it, it did. You know, a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. um, and so. It was like, why is no one talking about this? Like, this is really, really something that needs to be spoken about. And like a a couple of years earlier than that, um, Detroit had filed for bankruptcy as a city. And um, I had been up there on like a tour date. And it was just shocking to see the amount of businesses that were gone Um, with such a city that, you know, was massive, like early on in like American development as a country. Yeah. and so uh, between those two things and just like these conversations we were having turned into the, what the verses are that you hear now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, talking about soldiers and, and how the, the awareness of mental health is, yes, it's rising, but it's like, it's, it's such a huge problem for, for, you know, soldiers that are going to basically do the most, you know, the scariest thing ever, which is, mm-hmm you know, risk their lives and then they come back to home and it's, it's weird, it, you know, it's just uncomfortable for them. It's more comfortable for them to be kind of in, in, you know, with, with their troops and with their people than it is to be with their family and all these different things. And so it was just a, a really big buildup of a big conversation that was like, it was kind of like, we just were talking and the lyrics were then like lining themselves up. And so that's kind of how that song was written. And I cut a demo on it and, um, and Eric had like just finished his last record and we just were like, okay, well, I guess that's it. Cause we didn't think anybody would really cut it mm-hmm. and Eric would be the one to do it. We knew that from the start. Um, and then in January of this year, Jeff, my other co-writer on that called me and told me the story of him, like getting invited by Eric to go to North Carolina as they were tracking their, their record. Mm-hmm. And like went to write and ended up playing uh, the song for uh, a buddy of his that's the only other outside cut for Eric. Um, And yeah, he was just like, man, this song's got to get to Eric. Like you should send it to him. And Jeff's like, oh, I don't know. That feels weird for me. 
I don't know if that's like what I want to do. And so he ended up doing it. And then Eric heard it and basically shot Jeff a text back that was like, man, I, I've been listening to this for an hour straight and I, I can't stop listening to the first verse. I just keep starting it over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that's where I kind of picked up on the story of like, oh, he's going to cut this song. And that's all I really knew. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, cool. I think we got an Eric Church cut, but you know that like until it's actually like on the album, yeah. you know, at Target, then it's not even real. And so I just kind of forgot about it. And then, yeah, I guess that would have been in like June. So about six months after, five, six months after, I woke up to like a bunch of texts on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And it was like, bro, you've, you've got the single. And I didn't know what artist, what anything. And I like found my way through a couple more texts and then hit the article. And it was like, Eric Church's first single, Stick That In Your Country song coming out Friday and I was like whoa that's wild and then I kind of like went through I was like oh they'll just put it on Spotify I mean truly I, I don't know why that I like had had a jaded view of all of this I mean it was like oh wow well this will be cool this will be cool and then it it was like let's they're going to radio and now it's just doing its thing and I'm just I, I can't believe it I mean a lot of a lot of older songwriters will tell you like stories like this where you know, they thought a song was amazing and then it took five years or six years or eight years to get cut. Mm-hmm. And it really is true. You just kind of have to bury your head and you never know at all. Like much like the To All The Boys soundtrack. Yeah. It's like you never know wh- wh- when somebody's going to walk by the office and hear it. It's it's crazy. Honestly, all mm-hmm. of it's so crazy. But it, that's been a really fun ride. Yeah. And I think it, it definitely speaks, obviously, the song itself does, but... Eric Church is one of them people that doesn't necessarily use a lot of outside song like cuts. He writes all of his own songs and he's known for that. So to have it not only like on the album, but as a single, must feel kind of that added bit of that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big treat. And honestly, uh, you know, Eric, um, not even really adjusting the song at all and just kind of cutting it as is and letting Jeff and I have the publishing, you know, or have the songwriting credits on that was a really, really awesome, respectful move on his part. Um, you know, I have always loved all of his music. I think that he, the way that he, you know, kind of sticks to his own thing and doesn't bend towards what everybody else is doing is really, really awesome to get behind. Um, and so I was really honored just in the first place to have a song on his record. And then for him to kind of let us have that moment, um, that's getting rarer and rarer in our industry. Um, and so it's a big, uh, you know, feather in the cap, you know, to have that. And so I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's, that's, it, I mean, it's such a great song. As I said, it speaks, as I said, it speaks for itself. Um, so congratulations on that, because I'm sure it's going to have a lot more success. Um, so we're coming to the end, um, which is, that has literally flown by. Um, but I have three questions that I ask everyone, which I kind of wrap it up with. Um, all about threes. Um, so firstly for you, can you name three songs that you wish you'd have written? Oh, um, let's do The Long and Winding Road. Let's do... Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. And my favorite Coldplay song, my favorite Coldplay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, fix you by Coldplay. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a good awesome. range. Pretty great. Yeah. Try to, it's just trying to survive. I was like, look at my shirt. <laughs> it's all right. Um, for anyone listening to the podcast and not watching this video, Davis is wearing a Beatles shirt. Just in case you can't see the visual. Yeah. You're missing all the, all the holes. It's a, <laughs> definitely an old used shirt. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'm going to add an extra question then. One Beatles song you wish you could have written. Okay. Let's do... Um, well, since the long winding road was the Beatles, let's do Paul McCartney, My Love. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the sweetest, most well-written songs of all time. Yeah, awesome. And then three albums that you couldn't live without. Viva La Vida, Abbey Road. <laughs> um and so by peter gabriel nice throw a love love out throw a wrench in it um, mm -hmm. and three writers or artists that you haven't worked with that you kind of on your bucket list to work with sure yeah uh john ryan is is really fantastic um i think julia michaels really does something super special and then uh natalie himby in, in nashville i think mm -hmm. is pretty unbelievable as well yeah definitely she's, she's a bucket list for me as well to have on this, yeah. this show <laughs> um so obviously we've spoken about um quite a few few new artists and people that um people are listening might not have heard of so is there anyone else you kind of want to mention um artists up and coming might not have that many kind of followers or listeners but you think over the next few years are going to be ones to watch yeah sure um well selfishly i'll promote an artist i've been working with um named joel kraus mm -hmm. um who uh recently released a single that he wrote with ed sheeran that i produced um and that's doing well for him and he just released his ep on friday yeah. um you know and so that i would say that's a that's a really good one to watch out for um who else alexander 23 is somebody that i just thought about he's got a really cool flair for lyrics um i mean gosh let's see i'm just going through my friend list as well <laughs> um yeah i think that uh, ba a band called the band camino yeah. out of nashville is really really cool and a band called hardcastle out of nashville are both kind of doing some stuff that feels really authentically banned which i dig if you ever listen to the group augustana mm -hmm. um i really find a lot of uh there's like a lot of hardcastle sound like feels like what that felt like to me when i found it Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really special special thing um an artist named john tucker out of nashville is also really really fantastic he, he just released a song called drake mm -hmm. um but one of my really close friends mikey reeves works with hardcastle and and, and and them as well so it's a friend's hour for sure yeah definitely um and i know you're gonna sing for us in a minute but but before i let you go what's next for you is there anything we can look out for that you've kind of been a part of um yeah sure i mean the joel stuff coming out this friday i had a had a you know a, a good couple of years working on that stuff so i'm really excited about that 
Um, and then, yeah, a couple more Caitlin songs coming out and Emily songs coming out to really look forward to. And then, um, you know, uh, yeah, that's kind of stemming everything else at this point. Awesome. And I do, I do have some of my own music that's coming out. Excellent. And when can we expect that? That's what everybody would like to know, even myself. <laughs> but um, I did the kind of the last part of quarantine. I just started to write um, by myself again, which I hadn't done since I was probably in my young twenties. And so I've got a couple of a uh, couple of songs that are ready to ready to fly. Awesome. Is that been in the pipeline for a while? Yeah, have been what? Is it been something you've wanted to do for a while and this has just kind of been the opportunity? Yeah. So I think the quarantine for everybody was like, if you, all the things that you've been saying that if you had enough time to do, now's the time to do it. Yeah. Then if I didn't do that, I, I probably would never would. So it's mm -hmm. been, it's been great to get them, get them done. And, and now I just have to put them out and let them fly and stop overthinking everything about it. Yeah. Definitely. Well, you've got at least one listener. So there you go. Nice. <laughs> no, we will look forward to that as well. Um, I know you're going to play a song for us now to kind of play us out, but thank you so much for coming on and some amazing stories um, there. So thanks for being a part of it. It's, it's much appreciated. Well, it's been a blast and thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I will, I'll leave the stage to you um, to, to play us out. Okay. Awesome. I'll get, I'll get a talk. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, being that um, that I spend most of my time in the studio and not on the stage, my uh, my song list is pretty short in uh, in today. So, I, but I did I did run the Eric song, so I think we should probably do that. Let's do it. Okay. Cool. Take me on up to Detroit City. Jails are full, the factories empty. Mama's crying, young boys dying under that red, white, and blue state line. Drop me off in Baltimore, where every other winter's gone by would bore. Dreams become drugs and guns, and the only way out is shoot or run. Stick that country song. Take that one, number one. The whole world singing along, stick that country song. Sing about the man coming back from war, 23 going on 54. He lost his friends inside his hands, got a baby girl, he'll never see again. Stick that. Take that one to number one. Get the whole world singing along. Stick that, that country song. Light the arrow, pull the bow, shoot that fire right through my soul. Hit my pride, fist up high. I wanna feel a rush, I wanna feel alive. Come on, I wanna pound the dash, stomp the gas, and drive too fast. Stop my heart, rock me hard, blow the speakers right out of his car. Stick that country song, take 